Hi, everyone. I'm excited to talk to you today about dry and damp January. So a lot of you all submitted some questions to me. I was so excited to see how many of you are doing a dry January or interested in it. I know that this podcast is coming out already later into January, so you may already be on your way, or it may be something that you're considering later on in the year. And I really want to stress that it doesn't have to be January for you to cut back on alcohol. So I'm going to talk all about dry January in this episode, the difference between that and damp January, and answer a bunch of your questions. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Recoveredish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. So I didn't hear about the term damp January until this year, actually. But damp January is really, if you think about dry January is not drinking at all during the month of January, damp January is just giving yourself a little bit more leeway. So it's saying, I am not going to be totally abstinent from alcohol throughout the month, but I am going to try to drink less or try to drink a bit more mindfully. There are definitely pros and cons to either, and I am not really here to argue one over the other, but what I can say is that reducing your alcohol, regardless of whether it's moderation that you're looking at or cutting back more completely for a period of time or quitting drinking altogether is something that I am a very big fan of. I am sober. I've been sober for over nine years now, and I definitely went through ups and downs with drinking. And quitting drinking was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. If you haven't heard my story before, I talked a lot about it in episode one, and I really explored the relationship between my eating disorder as well as my addiction. But I think what's hard about my story, and maybe you relate to this, is that oftentimes we can go through different times and different periods of drinking. So when I look back at certain points of my life, I can say that was very unhealthy drinking. That made me look like I was an alcoholic or I definitely fit criteria for a substance use disorder during this period of time. But then after college, for example, my drinking was a lot more normal. It did seem like I was able to control it. Looking back, I think a lot of that actually had to do with my mental health, with the fact that also my I was in therapy and working on my eating disorder. But that is why sometimes I think it's hard for us to just say, I am an alcoholic or I am this or I am that because a lot of times our relationship with alcohol changes. And that is actually why I am a much bigger fan of, I mean, I am not saying you shouldn't call yourself an alcoholic if you feel compelled to use that word or if you feel like that is the right word for you. I come from a 12-step background and I often still use the word, but I've also seen how a lot of people don't feel completely connected to it. And while there's absolutely importance in admitting that you have a problem or recognizing that maybe you can't drink again, for example, depending on what's going on, often if we get really stuck on the label of something, it stops us from moving forward and making progress. Because I would rather have someone cut back on alcohol or stop drinking rather than be convinced they're an alcoholic. At the end of the day, I don't care what they call themselves. I care that they're able to stop drinking or cut back or start living a life that works for them, regardless of what term they use. And I think that we can get very caught up in terms in our society. But that is why, ironically, I came up with a different term. 
In my book, I talk about the term that I coined called disordered drinking. And it really stems from the idea of disordered eating, which is that you can fit some criteria for an eating disorder or recognize that you're in a pattern of disordered eating, but that doesn't mean that you officially have an eating disorder and you must say that you have an eating disorder for the rest of your life. And I've found as a therapist, people are a lot more willing to talk about their eating habits with me than alcohol because people are so afraid of being labeled as an alcoholic. And also, like I said, I think we can go through times in our life where we do have a more unhealthy relationship than alcohol with others. And that's why it frustrates me when we're obsessed with labeling certain people as being different, as they have this disorder, but everyone else doesn't. And everyone else should be able to drink normally. Rather than talking about how alcohol is an addictive substance, and even if you have a healthy relationship with alcohol, it is likely you will end up in situations where you drink too much, where you lose control because alcohol is an addictive substance. We don't say that it's weird that people get addicted to cigarettes. We recognize that cigarettes are addictive. So it's not unusual that someone who smokes a lot ends up with an addiction. Obviously they're different, but I hope that you get the point that I'm making. And I hope that me explaining kind of the the word disordered drinking and helping you see that you can have patterns in your life where you have a more healthy or unhealthy relationship with alcohol can help give you some freedom in exploring your relationship with alcohol, cutting back, or taking a break without feeling like you're doomed. Compared to a lot of other things, we assume as a culture that drinking is the norm. We assume most adults of age will drink, and if you don't, often there's something strange about it. It's often why the question, why aren't you drinking tonight, is so common when someone isn't drinking. We don't really ask that about other things. We don't ask someone often why they aren't eating meat or why they aren't smoking cigarettes or why they aren't doing a lot of other things. But because we assume that drinking is just the norm, someone often needs to have a good enough reason to justify not drinking. And this also causes problems because essentially in our culture, the only real reasons that are good enough or are justifiable in not drinking are either you're religious, you are an alcoholic or have a problem with drinking, and you should never drink, or you, if you are a woman, you are pregnant, which I have unfortunately been asked many, many times, and except probably when I was pregnant. Anyway, I digress. As an aside, I just wish people in general would stop commenting on people's bodies, stop commenting on what people are drinking or eating. It is just none of our business, and it's also not really that good of a conversation. I mean, commenting on a pregnant woman and being like, oh, you look really big or you look really small or saying to someone who's drinking, why aren't you drinking or that's a lot to drink, it doesn't lead to very fruitful, rich conversation anyway. But regardless of whether you want to cut back on your drinking or you are doing a full dry January, there are a lot of benefits. It's been really great to see over the years how there is a lot of research that has debunked that there are any positive benefits to drinking alcohol. There used to be kind of this idea that the antioxidants of red wine were heart healthy 
And a lot of that research has really been debunked, especially in regards to cancer. There is so much data out there that shows that even just drinking a small amount has a negative impact on people's health. And this is a pretty big change in the research compared to what we saw even five, 10 years ago. People used to say a little bit was good. You would get some antioxidants. And there was that whole moderation idea that a little bit of alcohol was good for you. And now the research is saying even a little bit is not good for you. And cutting back actually can have a really positive impact on your health. So some of you all reached out to me and you said that you were doing a dry January, you were excited about it, and you would love to know some of the positive impacts it's going to have on your body and health. And one of the first ones that people see when they take a break from drinking is that their skin starts to look better. And part of that is because your skin gets really dehydrated when you're drinking because alcohol is a diuretic. It is dehydrating, which means that your skin loses nutrients or fluid that make it look good, healthy, younger, you could even say. Drinking can also cause you to have excessive flushing in your face or redness or even can be linked to rosacea. And this is because when your body takes in alcohol, which is ethanol, and you're drinking too quickly and your body can't break down the ethanol as quickly as you're drinking it, it converts it into this toxic substance known as acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde is considered a class one carcinogen by the World Health Organization. And because it's so toxic, your body doesn't want to store it. So instead of storing it, what it does is it sends it to your bloodstream so that your body can get rid of it through oxidation. So this is why when you drink a breathalyzer works and alcohol shows up in your breath or even in your sweat, because it is being oxidized through your bloodstream instead of just being sent to your liver. And the problem with the process of oxidation is as acetaldehyde travels through your bloodstream and into your capillaries, it's so toxic that it can burst capillaries, which can cause that redness to happen. Or even if you've seen people with broken capillaries on their face, that may be connected with alcohol use. So if you are someone who is prone to flushing and you take a break from drinking, you may notice that your rosacea or your flushing starts to clear up. Another interesting thing you may not know about alcohol is that digestion gets really disrupted when you're drinking. Not only does alcohol destroy the good bacteria in your gut, and this can cause unhealthy bacteria to flourish and also mess up the ratio of good versus bad bacteria, but it also matters because a lot of our neurochemicals in our brain, things that help make us feel good, like serotonin that help regulate our moods, are produced in our gut. There are some studies that say that over 95% of your brain serotonin is produced in your gut. So if your digestion is messed up from alcohol, that can also have an impact on just how you feel mental health-wise on a day-to-day basis. The other really important one to know is that alcohol can really disrupt your sleep. Often people use alcohol as a way to calm down or stress or even help them fall asleep. But over time, not only do you become dependent on alcohol in order to be able to sleep, while it feels like it's helping you fall asleep faster, what actually happens when you're drinking alcohol is essentially going into a type of sedation. So you're not fully sleeping, you're just kind of sedated. 
This is why after a night of drinking, you may wake up in the middle of the night or at like a few hours after sleeping. It's because you weren't really in a natural pattern of sleep when you fell asleep. You were just in this level of sedation and the alcohol then wears off and then you wake up. It often can make your sleep really fragmented, which means that you're not getting into those deeper levels of sleep like REM cycle, which is really important because not only does that have a really big impact on our memory, but just our natural way that our body maintains our immune system and all of these parts of our body, that happens during those deep cycles of sleep. So when you're not sleeping well, you're not going to be in optimal health. So these are just a few physical health components that are going to be positively impacted if you cut back or take a break from drinking for a period of time. If you are hearing me talk all about this and you're realizing I could really use some individualized support in cutting back on drinking or stopping, I would love for you to check out my practice, therapyforwomencenter.com. We really specialize in working with substance use. Whether you have more of an addiction or you're just looking to cut back, I train my therapists to be able to work with individuals who are anywhere on the spectrum and work from a very non-stigmatizing harm reduction way, just like I'm talking about with you right now. So if you're interested, check out my practice, therapyforwomencenter.com. If you aren't sure about whether you should do a dry January or a damp January, one thing I really want you to think about is your mindset. Because one thing that I think makes dry Januaries not very successful, even if you do them or accomplish them on paper is when people treat them like a diet and they say, I'm going to suck it up for 30 days or I'm going to pick the shortest month of the year and then I'm going to say that I did a dry January or they're using it as a way to prove to themselves that they don't have an issue with alcohol or they're trying to do it as a reset to kind of reset their tolerance. I can tell you not only from professional experience, but personal experience I've done this before. I didn't even accomplish doing the dry January, so maybe I'm not a good example, but anytime we're taking off a certain period of time and doing it while just kind of holding our breath, it's not going to really have a positive long-term impact. Instead, I would rather you do a damp January and be more mindful about it. It would be more effective if you got really curious about why you drank or what the triggers are that cause you to drink or how you feel one night when you drink versus when you don't drink or do an experiment where you try to go out to a restaurant or go out with friends and see how you feel when you don't drink and be really mindful about it and journal afterwards so you can recognize maybe you aren't as connected to these friends as you thought you would or maybe it was harder to not drink, or maybe it it wasn't about the drinking. I think one thing that this exercise can kind of teach us, if you come into it with mindfulness, you can realize that sometimes it's not even about the alcohol. It is about the ritual. And if you're not sure about this, I want you to picture coming home at the end of the day and you pour a glass of wine and you sit down on your couch and you take a deep breath. Does that sense of relaxation happen before you finish that drink or does it happen after you've poured it, after you've gotten set up and maybe you've taken that first sip? For most people, if they're honest, it's that first sip. And that's why it is not just the alcohol. It is the ritual of telling yourself that you're 
done with the day. You've maybe put your kids to bed. You've kind of finished everything, and now you can turn your brain off and start to relax. And you're using alcohol as the way to transition between your day and your evening. Or the weekends, a lot of times people use alcohol to transition or signify the difference between their weeks and their weekends. And this doesn't mean that you won't miss alcohol. I'm not saying that it's just going to be super easy to stop drinking, but I'm saying that if we can look at how it's maybe the ritual that you're craving even more than the drink, that could help you create some new rituals. It might show you that pouring a glass of seltzer into a wine glass may give you the same effect. I'm a very big fan, especially when we're talking about dry January or damp January, I really feel like this is where mocktails or non-alcoholic beverages shine. There are some incredible new beverages out there. If you're a wine drinker, there's a lot to be said for a de-alkalized wine, which is a wine, um, but they go through this process where they de-alkalize it. They put it in a centrifuge and it removes the alcohol in it which allows you to kind of still have that front taste of the alcohol. It still tastes good. It doesn't taste like a sparkling grape juice. It still has that dryness, but it just doesn't have obviously the effects or kind of like the back end of a drink. Um, I'll link a lot of the stuff in the show notes too. Um, There's a lot of great Instagram accounts too that are dedicated to coming up with cool, different, unique mocktails. And I think you can really take this time to experiment or even if you're doing a damp January, maybe rotate between an alcoholic beverage, a non-alcoholic beverage, water. The name of the game is really slowing yourself down and creating moments for you to be mindful and to pause so you can notice the impact that alcohol is having on you and decide whether it's worth it or not. And to me, if you're trying to drink more mindfully or change your relationship with alcohol or moderate, it is going to be so important that you are able to be super, super mindful of what you're doing during this process because You're going to need to be able to, at the end of the day, answer the question, is drinking right now and this beverage worth it to me? That is the only way that moderation is successful. I will also say the other big thing to know about moderation is that if your goal is to still get really drunk or get drunk but not black out, that is not going to be able to be accomplished through mindful drinking because the front part of your brain, your frontal lobe, is what is responsible for thinking, for making rational decisions, for thinking into the future, um, all of those sort of things for problem solving. And that part of your brain goes offline when you get drunk. And once your brain gets into the habit of blacking out, you are more likely to continue to black out. So I would also say moderation is only going to work if you're someone who's interested in having a few drinks and you don't need to be able to feel like you need to party or get fully intoxicated because it just isn't going to work. I go over a ton of this in my book, Not Drinking Tonight, and also the workbook. Half of it is like workbook pages where you can go through them. It says on the front that I wrote it for clinicians, but I would say over half the book, like I said, is worksheets that you can work through yourself. So those are some tips. I'm trying to think of other alcohol-free beverages I like. I really like this brand called Amphiest. Um, I like anything with a little spice. It kind of just feels like it gives you that little bit of a kick. Dryness, I think, is really important when we're talking about mocktails. 
and anything you like that tastes good. But this could be your time to experiment and to try different things, especially if you were someone that liked making cocktails, liked making that, doing that mixology. It can be a fun new challenge to try alcohol-free spirits and see what you think. So we talked a little bit about how cutting back on alcohol or doing a dry January can positively impact your physical health. But as a therapist, I'm even more excited about talking to you about how cutting back on alcohol will help improve your mental health. So we know that alcohol negatively impacts our mental health. If you have anxiety, depression, PTSD, any sort of mood disorder, alcohol is going to exacerbate those symptoms. And part of the reason that it does that is it negatively impacts and messes with the chemicals in your brain. We also know, based on what I was talking about, that it also messes with your gut and your digestion, which also can mess with serotonin and other chemicals in your brain. So that's just to start. That's not even talking about the fact that when you are getting drunk, it is hard for you to take care of yourself, eat well, sleep well, stand up for yourself, set boundaries, have fulfilling friendships, do all of these things that will also help you take care of your mental health. But just from a physiological perspective, one thing I'm really glad we've started talking more about is how people are realizing that they get anxiety the next day. And that is because alcohol is a depressant. So the second that you ingest alcohol, your brain is trying to stay in homeostasis at all times. And that means it will produce whatever chemical it needs to in order to bring yourself back into homeostasis. So in order to counteract the depressant effect of alcohol, your body will often produce cortisol or adrenaline or these other hormones that often create or feel like anxiety in our body. Then we process the alcohol, it leaves our system, but we're still left with this chemical imbalance in our brain that makes us feel more anxious the next day. So if you are cutting back on drinking, this will positively impact you. You'll feel less anxious if you take a break. I'm really interested and excited to hear how it goes and how it impacts your anxiety the next day. We also know, of course, that if you are drinking a lot and you feel like you're making poor decisions or you don't remember what you did or said and you're trying to figure out if something embarrassing happened, that is going to also cause anxiety too. We also know that over time, alcohol can negatively impact our gray matter, which is a really important part of our brain that helps us emotionally regulate. It helps us with memory, with muscle control, with sensory perception. There was a huge study that happened that actually said that alcohol negatively impacts gray matter four times as much as smoking does. And finally, I want you to know that because alcohol is an artificial chemical and it stimulates the pleasure receptors in your brain, this is going to cause your body to react, again, wanting to stay in homeostasis by producing chemicals like denorphin, which reduce the intensity of alcohol over time. This is what creates tolerance. But because your brain is suppressing this chemical pathway, it also will reduce your ability to find joy in non-alcohol pleasures. So it makes it so that doing small things like being with a child, listening to your favorite music, eating a great meal, because your brain is so used to this artificial high, those simple pleasures will feel less pleasurable to your brain over time the more that you drink. However, I do want to note, I think one thing that's hard, and it's one reason why maybe you would want to do a dry January instead of a damp January, is that alcohol does take some time to get out of your system, and it takes your body some time to 
fully go back to normal and regulate itself once you stop drinking. And this is the case even if you aren't a heavy drinker, even if you don't necessarily drink every day. If your body has gotten used to using alcohol as an aid, it is going to be harder it is going to take some time for it to regulate. And I think one of the the things that I see often as a therapist is that people sometimes take a break from drinking and they take maybe, let's say, two weeks off from drinking. And initially, sometimes they feel worse. And this is probably really surprising to hear because you would think that any amount of pausing drinking would feel better. But sometimes when you take a short break from drinking, number one, your body hasn't fully adjusted and regulated itself. For example, if you haven't been sleeping very well for years and alcohol has also been negatively impacting your sleep, stopping drinking for two weeks isn't going to just make you filled with energy. And you're not going to just be bouncing off the walls, glowing skin, completely a different person just from taking those two weeks off. In fact, you may be really tired for those two weeks as your body is getting deeper restful sleep for the first time in a while. Your skin may break out or your digestion, you may bloat or feel worse for a little bit of time, again, as your body is figuring things out and figuring out how to regulate itself without alcohol. And I think that's one of the frustrating things is if you just cut back for a little bit of time and you're expecting these amazing results, there's almost become this interesting thing on Instagram of like wellness influencers that are promoting sobriety, which I'm not against, though I could go on a whole rant about wellness influencers and some of the issues with that. But I do get frustrated sometimes with some of these false promises as though if you just cut back on drinking for a couple weeks, your whole life will change. Does your life have the possibility of changing if you cut back on alcohol? Yes. But that is not where it ends. It's really where it starts. Like it is the opening or the possibility that your life can change, but it's going to take a lot of work before you get there. And you may feel worse before you feel better as your body is adjusting. And I think nothing is more true with this than if we get into how alcohol impacts your mental health. So many of us in our culture use alcohol as a stress reliever. If you look in the media, if you look at TV and movies, how people talk, it is so apparent how if you look at it from an outside perspective, we really act like the way that adults cope with life being hard and stressful is through alcohol. If someone has a hard day, they often pour themselves a drink. And the problem with this is while yes, alcohol temporarily makes you feel better and will numb some of that stress that you're feeling, it is a temporary solution that then makes you feel worse over time. Because not only does your body learn and your brain learns that alcohol is the solution you need to kind of deal with your stress, but you also aren't actually dealing with it. You are just numbing your stress and kind of kicking the can down the road for the next day. And then the next day, because you didn't actually deal with your stress, you didn't process your emotions, you are left with all of the stress you previously had from the day before, and then it is compounded by the new stress that you have today. Alcohol also has this way of allowing us to live a life that doesn't work for us. 
For example, it helps us stay in relationships, whether that's friendships, family, partners that sometimes are not really a good fit, but we can make it work or deal with some of those issues or incompatibilities by drinking. For example, if you have a job that is just completely unsustainable and you are being worked to the bone and you're not able to set boundaries and you're using alcohol to deal with it, you still have that really unhealthy job situation at the end of the day. You're just prolonging your ability to deal with that job. But that job isn't changing. You're not changing. You're not getting better equipped at dealing with the job by setting boundaries having hard conversations, maybe looking for a new job, taking better care of yourself, doing any of these things that will make your life more sustainable. Instead, you're just numbing what's actually happening and making it easier for you to tolerate the job. And I would be remiss to not say that that is one of the short-term advantages of alcohol. Numbing can be helpful in short periods of time. If you've listened to me on this podcast, I've talked about some of the positive impacts of distraction. Distraction and numbing are different though. Distraction is kind of putting pause on how you're feeling where numbing is wiping you out and then it often compounds the next day versus distraction is a little bit more of a pause on how you're feeling and you can pick it up later. I think another good example of this is sometimes alcohol kind of becomes the glue of holding our romantic partnership together or our friendships together. And if we spend a lot of time with those people just drinking and bonding over things that involve alcohol, it can be hard to actually notice that you may not be compatible. Like you and this friend may not really have anything in common when you remove the alcohol. So when you remove alcohol in some ways, you have to kind of face the truth of what's going on in your life. You are forced to reckon with relationships that aren't working, maybe a job that isn't working different things in your life that you're using alcohol to band-aid together, which can be really freeing when you see that. And if you're having an experience of feeling like my life isn't working, I don't know what's going on, I don't know how to get unstuck, cutting back on alcohol or taking a break could really give you clarity that changes your life. At the same time, it can be really confronting to feel like, oh my gosh, I am in a relationship that doesn't work and I've built my whole life on this. Or I'm in a career that actually when I remove alcohol, I hate and this isn't my passion and this isn't what I want to be doing. So there's positives and there's also scary parts of this, but that's also why I think taking things one step at a time, not going from zero to 100, I am always a really big believer in taking small steps. Even if you are in a position where you are taking a break from alcohol and you're starting to see some of this stuff come up, or maybe you have a feeling this may come up if you stop drinking and it's preventing you from doing that, I want to remind you that even if you discover this, it is still your life and you get to take action on it or not take action as you feel comfortable. You may be scared to see the truth, but also no one is going to make you change. You get to take those steps at the end of the day. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, please be sure to rate, review, share with your friends. I'm working this year. I'm trying to get the podcast to reach more people, so you have no idea how much that helps. And like I said before, if you're interested in therapy, reach out to therapyforwomencenter.com. All right. See y'all next time.